guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Hello. Thank you so much for pushing play today. I'm Kelly, and I'm still smiling from this past weekend in Atlanta. It was filled with wine and culture fest activities. Thank you again to everyone who voted for the podcast to be a finalist at the Roses and Rosé Awards Brunch. It was such a beautiful event and I love cheersing with so many people that I maybe haven't even met in person before and that I admire in the wine industry. Today's episode is a little different than anything I've ever produced before. We are quite literally bringing two worlds together from Atlanta to Europe, all centered around a mutual appreciation and admiration for Portugal. I recently had the opportunity to visit Portugal as a journalist, but in my case, an audio journalist with the sole mission of observing and collecting wine stories. And if I'm being truly honest with all of you and myself about that, it was exactly what I'd describe as a dream come true situation. I host this show to communicate with and connect to people through wine. And that's exactly what a trip like this allowed me to do and then this time taking me into a whole new culture of wine as well. But then the coolest part is that when I got back, I got to sit down with Melissa Abreu, the owner of a wine shop that specializes in Portuguese wine called Dom Bejos, right here in the Kirkwood neighborhood of Atlanta to totally geek out once I got back from the trip. So after a few clips on today's episode from my time in Porto, we will jump into a conversation about her experience selling wines from Portugal here in the Southeast. I love how wine travel can inspire us to seek out new wines upon return, and maybe today's show will also inspire you to try something new. Okay, so upon arrival in Portugal, and maybe even on the plane ride there, I could tell that the country is super hyper-focused right now on helping people discover how versatile and intriguing their wines really can be. And their commitment to wine tourism is leveraging wine as a catalyst for human connection through culture and relating it to the country's other industries. It is opening up new entry points for people to discover wine. And these collective efforts are putting Porto uniquely on the wine tourism map for more than just port wine. I visited the new cultural district in Porto called the World of Wine, affectionately called WOW. This district has museum exhibits and bars and restaurants and even an entire new wine school to help people explore the region's history, art, food, and wine in a very uniquely immersive way. I was staying at the Yeatman Hotel with incredible views over the Dural River and my first stop of the trip was at the wine school. I quickly found out there that I was among friends because they said that they also enjoy something I really enjoy, blind tasting. Uh, and in the end of each day, weekday, we do a blind tasting challenge. Just to spicy things around, we started by with us, with my team of wine educators. We were blind tasting each other with all the ones that we had there and it was really funny so we thought okay let's add that to because once in the end of the day we really believe that they need to be enjoyed i then immediately dove into demystifying my preconceptions about port wine specifically the fortified wine that they are so well known for and at the wine school we talked about the house profiles of the port houses in porto and how year after year each house anchors themselves on their signature taste 
profiles. And Maria Delamain, WOW's brand manager, had a really good way of describing it when I was sitting with her at the wine school. After you taste a lot of the different houses, you can see profile choices. In vintages, you will feel the plots and the properties. Uh, imagine when we are talking about the croft, we know that you have these minty flavors all around. Taylor's has this violet kind of profile. Imagine if I think about Dow's more acidity and they go for more fruity profile instead of a floral profile. Um, it will depend very much on yeah. what side of the river in terms of basically the sun hits it in the morning, hits it in the afternoon, how far up the Douro Valley you are, how you know, levels from the river up to the top of the mountains, because obviously it's all down to heat and to the to the earth as to what's been coming through that. So in terms of the flowers and everything, it will depend on what's around the vineyards and everything, and those notes and things will come into, into the fruit. And then challenging pretty much everything I thought I knew about port, I went to one of WOW's restaurants, a steakhouse called 1828, and Priscilla Haddad, the head sommelier of the world of wine, introduced me to the magic that is a tomahawk steak paired with young vintage port. It's incredible when we taste a bottle and we can feel something like back in history. It's amazing. It's quite uh, impressive, actually. The 17, we can feel much more the, the fruity side, uh, the intensity, the deepness of the red berries. Uh, very material, but very elegant too. Roundness, you can taste it. Uh, some floral notes, so very vibrant. And it's just in uh, 18, we can feel much more the... Uh, the elegance is much precise. Uh, the tenant is smoother. And, uh, well, comparing, it's easy to find that uh, the vintages are different, but we have the same line for, for both. The elegance style, uh, the fruity, very perfect, the maturation that we can uh, feel for the, the production of this wine were actually precise. Everything were on point. And speaking of port, I am now so very obsessed with port and tonic cocktails which can be made using either white port or rosé port or even some red ports. You combine them with tonic water, ice, herbs like mint or basil, and citrus like lime or orange, and you have a magical, refreshing cocktail. Please let me know if you try one and what you think because I feel like I've found my new go-to, especially for any late August heat here in Atlanta. And speaking of Atlanta... Let's now jump to my conversation with Melissa of Don Bejos, who will very likely make you feel even more inspired to visit your local wine shop and ask what they have available from Portugal. We are so lucky to have her passion for these wines here in the city, and I love that so many that she carries in the shop are relatively reasonably priced right now, so you can find so much bang for buck in your wine exploration. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to Wow Portugal for having me, the Yeatman Hotel for such top-notch hospitality, and to everyone I met on this journey for making me remember once again why the culture of wine is so beautiful and important. You can visit www.acorkandthroad.com for all of our event updates. We have a lot going on right now. You'll get the ticket links there, and you can also sign up for our newsletter. Please take care, and we will be back the week of August 29th with another episode. Cheers. Talk soon.
great to see you, Melissa. Thank you, Kelly. I'm over here still smiling from the Women in Wine event that you just hosted at your wine shop. Thank you for fostering community, one wine industry tasting at a time. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I think everybody enjoyed it. The weather held because it was outside, but everyone, I thought everyone was beautiful and it was so nice to have that many women together in one place. It's really special. Not just one place, your shop. Like you allowed that to happen. We all gathered there to bring our own wines and to celebrate with you as a business owner as well in the Atlanta wine scene. Well, thank you. Thank you. At that event chatting with you, you got me really excited about my trip to Portugal and I did go right after seeing you and it was better than I could have imagined. And you tried to prep me saying like, that's going to be the best trip ever. And you were very, very right. But one thing you didn't prep me for, Melissa, is that I would fall in love with Porto Tonicos. Why didn't you tell <laughs> me? Why did I not know that those existed? Why did I not have one? Where can I get one in Atlanta? Well, you know, we uh, had, uh, after speaking with you and actually seeing some of your pictures, I thought that we need to maybe do some more uh, port and tonic tastings because there is variety there. And I think what I saw you drinking was maybe a rosé port and tonic. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, that was one of them. I usually okay. went the white port, but there also <laughs> were rosé ports and it was like the most refreshing drink and the views and the seaside, you know, that helped. But those drinks were fantastic for before dinner. It was amazing. And they're lower ABV, so that's we love that as professionals, right? Because we love to drink more if we can. Yes. So where can I get them in Atlanta? Maybe the, your shop, it sounds like. Yes, uh, we, we are definitely. It, it's great for the warm weather because, like you said, it's so refreshing. So I think we, we have done that in the past, and I think we want to do it again. And again, get, get a variety in there. So maybe even throw like a red one in, red port and tonic, because they all taste good. Very good. And then it was so fun to see what restaurants would put in as the twist, you know, you could put it with a with an orange zest or a lime zest in there, mint leaves even. So it was kind of heading in the gin and tonic kind of profile. Right. And I don't know, I just was like, yes, whenever the <laughs> whenever the menu came up, I was like, yes, Porto Tonico, please. Thank you. Yes. That is great. And I also told a lot of people that I ran into on this trip about your shop in particular in Atlanta. You are from Southern Georgia, but your father is Portuguese and your shop is honoring that part of your heritage. So let's just step back. I can't wait to ask you all about the shop, but tell yeah. us about the name of the shop first. Where did this come from? You know, I uh, always love the word beijos. It's, um, it means kisses, of course. Um, and if you, I'm sure you saw when you're in Portugal, when you greet people, you do the little kisses on each cheek. It's just a part of everyday life. People just they're not afraid to do those those small things to connect with each other and I've always loved that people do that but also I just think the word is so gorgeous and we just put dom in front of it to mean like bigger passionate so just a big kiss and, and I joke that when I have a really nice glass of wine and you know you get to about the middle of the glass and you just start feeling warm and fuzzy like you just had a big kiss I'm like, yep, wine. At some point, that is exactly how you feel yeah. drinking a good glass of wine. Yeah, it's wonderful. So how often did you travel to Portugal while you were growing up with your father? And what part? Because I know it's a small country, but it's very diverse in terrain and experiences. No kidding. So my family lives in what the wine country would be considered the Dow region. And I had been told that I rode on the airplane in one of those little baby rockers that they used to hang from the ceiling back when that was a, you know, 
not safe. Every other summer, we would leave on the first day of summer, and I would spend the whole summer there. And I, I bet I never wore shoes for three months. We just would run around. And uh, at that time, everybody that was connected to that village, half of us couldn't communicate with each other, but we just ran around having a great time together. And I can even remember as a kid, because everybody did grow their own grapes, when it was time to harvest the grapes, which was late summer there, that all the kids would meet at everybody's house, at the different houses and stomp on the grapes in everybody's individual little wine cellars. I mean, I can even remember as you know, again, because we were running around barefooted, I would have these tiny cuts on my feet and it would sting. Like that's how clear that memory is to me from, from my childhood. But it's all the kids and it's a very family oriented thing surrounded by all the winemaking process. So you were a little girl seeing this happen, seeing this just be part of life in Portugal. Exactly. And I think that is the beauty of wine and, and not just Portugal. I think you can equate this with other European countries. There's no stigma about, about drinking wine when you're not 21 and all of these rules that somehow I think have made it to the States. It's just a, it's just a part of agriculture and life and, and beauty. I'm really glad you say that because as I'm processing all the people I met and the things I saw just in my short week there, that was one thing that was super prominent, was that wine was really infused at every step of the way. And I say this, even the plane trip over on the little menu on the screen, you could pick movies, but you could also pick, let's learn about wine. Let's go to Portuguese wine regions. Like it was on the travel trip there, like get to know Portugal through wine. Amazing. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> wow, like what a unique opportunity. You can go to countries and experience culture not for wine. But what I think they're building there is connecting people through wine to other aspects like art, music, scenery in general, hiking, exploring, like it was through wine and they're really doing a good job. So I was just wondering if that was always the case for you when you travel there. I think so. Uh, definitely. You know, and, and again, our where we went mainly now we traveled all over the country, but for the most part, we stayed in these places, these small villages to visit distant aunts and uncles and cousins. And when you walk into someone's home, they already have pre-set up a table that has cheese on it and marmalade and dried figs from their garden and all the things that they picked that day. And then of course they bring out a jug of wine that's that they've made that year. So it's just the sense of making people feel at home and community is so much stronger than what I experience here. And from very young on, you saw that there was a difference in how people approached that beverage was portuguese wine on your table when you'd come back like from when you were in the united states was that on your family's table you you will think i'm exaggerating when i say this but we would literally bring back dirt from that country in our suitcases so yes everything in our homes was always centered around portugal even from the soils and appreciating this yeah, yeah. i'm not i don't think that's crazy i get that that is how much respect that you had for that country and for your yeah. heritage is it connects you when you're that far away having those pieces that agricultural around you it makes a lot of sense to me including the wine yes absolutely my um my father had the opportunity um 10 years ago to live in the south of spain and they collected 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 for many years so their home in south georgia truly is a museum to to portugal um, his wine room's really amazing. And I know it's not wine, but Portugal also has just an amazing um, selection of liqueurs. 
that I'm very fond of. And so it's just, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. So if I need to go on a historical adventure, I need to go see this collection of your father's in Southern Georgia. Yes, it's really, it's amazing. Oh gosh. Well, I was just fascinated by also the number of grape varieties that I came across in five days, how many different names of grapes I came across. Is this something that you are able to showcase in the shop? To be perfectly honest, we are still learning ourselves because it is so vast. I think some of the rules are still changing. I think a great example that I try to explain to people is Vigna Verde. Everybody thinks about Vigna Verde as this inexpensive light and spritzy and sparkly and maybe a little, you know, off dry sometimes just to be drank every day. But some really serious wines come out of Vigna Verde. But if you ever see the DOC menu, M-I-N-H-O, geographically that region is identical to Vigna Verde. But if you're using a grape like Loredo or there's several others that are not allowed in Vigna Verde, they have to be called menu. So there's so many weird rules because there's so many, and you'll, you'll have the same grape from different regions and it's called something else. So learning it is a real, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson and we're still learning, but that's the fun part of wine. And now people can come into your shop here in the middle of Atlanta and ask you some of these questions about these grapes. Because yes, I sat down the first day of my trip. I was staying in Porto, and one of the newest things that they're building there is this wine school. So now there's this wine education center in Porto. They're doing certifications eventually, but it's for people who can come off the street. You can walk in and just like get a tasting, but you can also be an industry professional and they want to start doing like internships or foreign exchange programs and really showcasing that. So I sit down for my class. I'm like off the plane, delirious. I don't know what day or time it is. I had a coffee and then I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. And I sit down and they tell me there are 14 wine regions in Portugal and 250 plus grape varieties. And I was like, oh boy, sign me up. Here we go. <laughs> I was like, I just was ready to be blown away because I had never experienced anything that they put on the table in that first tasting. So how do you think people here in Atlanta feel about comfort zone of Portuguese wines. Do you think that people are familiar with these grapes and what you have in the shop? They're learning. Luckily, I, the word is getting out about the shop a little more. So many people that walk through the door are here specifically to look at Portuguese wines. It makes me so happy because it's, it's just undiscovered. And I think back to maybe what we were talking about previously, so many people want to drink Pinots and Cabs. I like penis and cabs. Well, guess what? If you like cab, I bet you also like Trian Arsenal. And depending on what region it's grown from, you can get those big, juicy, luxurious wines, or you can get dry, earthy wines. It really is amazing, the variety of wines that are coming out of Portugal. And I think it's really important to support small wine shops, not just mine, but there's no way looking at a bottle that you will know what is in that bottle unless you taste it. So I really encourage people to visit these shops because guess what? If you like Sauvignon Blanc, you're going to like Vigna Verde. Or if you like Chardonnay, please try Incruzado. But having a professional know what those wines taste like really helps. Absolutely. And look at you shouting out the other shops. I'm like, but for Portuguese wine, go see Melissa. <laughs> but also I appreciate that because yes, it is experiencing it a little bit differently than just pulling it off the shelf. It's 
accessing the knowledge that is inside the shop when you go in there. And I know you want people to ask about those wines. I know you're excited to answer questions. For sure. And, you know, we do tastings. Um, all, anytime we're open, we have bottles open and there's almost always a Portuguese wine open. So if you want to try some Portuguese wines, come do it. Well, I mean, how can you say no to that? I did have the Vino Verdes often as we would sit down for like even a bigger lunch and we would have that as a glass or a bottle for the table while we're looking at what else to order because it's it's just so beautiful to inspire you to keep drinking more. It's like gets your mouth watering. It's refreshing. So that was our hashtag thinking wine while we were sitting at the table <laughs> to decide what else because it was just a great way to start a gathering to start your meal um so i get that and i think people can experience lots of different styles by just keeping their mind open and keep tasting exactly what do you want people to know about portuguese wines that they might not know when they walk into your shop well i will say there i think there is an assumption too if you have a boutique wine shop that the wines can be expensive and at the most expensive portuguese wine we have think is $55 and that's not normal. We have many, many bottles that are under 15, under $20. Portuguese wines right now are so affordable. So that makes them even better because they're more accessible. And that's definitely, I want people to not feel scared to experiment. And there's a lot of variety in that price point. There's the reds, the whites, the rosés under $20. Absolutely. So you're telling me that it's more than port wine. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. So much more. We we had a, a Vino Verde last night that's actually a pet nat. Um, for people who know what skin contact is, it has a little bit of an orange color. We tried it for the first time last night. It's a bottle that costs $15.99. And we all looked at each other with these like gasp faces. It tasted so much like champagne. We were just blown away. These wines will blow you away. Really exciting. And I am thinking back to one of the cellars that I explored at the hotel where I was staying called the Yeatman. It like looks out over the Duro. It's like insane. But we went to the cellar and they were telling me that only 4% of that cellar is international wine. And most of that international is champagne. But you just said there's a $15.99 pet nat that reminded you of champagne. It's true. That oh, that's yeah. so, so cool. That's so, so cool. So tell me a little bit about how you decide what wines go on the shelves in your shop. Oh, gosh. With Portuguese wines, I really try to give them all a chance because it's important for me to support Portugal and Portuguese winemakers. Uh, I wish that there was more uh, distributed into the state of Georgia, um, but if if I can find it, and it's good. We will bring it in if it's Portuguese, for sure. We try to keep our selection as big as possible. It's just, it's our focus. Um, I've tried maybe one that I wasn't crazy about. Uh, but other than that, every single one blows me away. So we do try them all. Again, we want to know what we're selling. And we want to be able to help people by describing what that one tastes like. But we do try to bring in every single bottle we see. So are people starting to come to you, and I say people in terms of the sales representatives from the distributor portfolios here, are they starting to bring you Portuguese wines that they don't bring to anybody else? They are. And we do have um, a decent portfolio from the Lisboa region. I think there's eight or 10 SKUs of uber, uber natural wines that we 
exclusively have here. We're really proud of that. Um, and there, there's a couple other bottles as well. And you taste them all. Yes, it's a it's a luxury for sure. <laughs> Difficult job. Your palate <laughs> must be exhausted. But I think that's really cool about a, a small shop. I look in your shop and I say, wow, she not only knows what these wines are, but she's also tasted them because you don't have a ton of shelf space. So what's on there, I know you're very selective about putting in front of a customer. A hundred percent. And and if you come into the shop and you tell me you're new to wine, I'm probably not going to sell you something really funky. If you tell me you want something funky, then that's a different story. But again, it's just so helpful to be able to know. If you tell me what you like, I, I think we've done a really good job of giving you a wine that matches your preference. I love that. So you, you're you tasting them all. People are starting to bring the wines to you and you're finding kind of a niche within the Portugal portfolio. It's true. So um, I think you know that this shop really was my first um, venture into wine as a professional. And looking back, I can remember on our tasting sheets that we were putting smiley faces and hearts beside the wines. And then we would go back and say, wait, what did this taste like again? Because we just were loving everything. And it was just an incredible experience to get to taste wine. It was just mind-blowing. Um, we've gotten a little better with notes uh, over the course of time. But, but what I'm finding is that my palate is definitely changing. And now I never, I never knew how it, this journey would take me into this natural wine realm. Yes, they can be funky, but they don't have to be. There are natural wines out there that no one would know if they, if people that have this perception of, but I, my palate just has gone there. So our shop is, is leaning that way. Do you think that fits into a more overarching trend that's happening in, in Atlanta? Or do you think that's just for you personally? Cause I'm just, I've heard this a lot from like Atlanta being something that's leading the way in this, but do you see it as a broader trend in just our local area of professionals and consumers? I, it, that's that's tough because I am in a bubble here. You know, we we have definitely some suppliers that we prefer a little more, just the quality of their books. Also, it's like eating good food. You know, you want to go to the farmer's market and get a, an apple or a peach or a pear that doesn't have pesticides on it. And I think anybody can attest to them being better, right? And I think it's the same. So your palate is seeking out those flavors, but also in terms of the respect for the practices that are used, it just kind of goes hand in hand. Absolutely. And I think I think there is honestly a purity to the taste of the wine. It is different. A lot of sense. And now I'm thinking about a lot of the the portfolios, the import and the distributor portfolios that you work with also believe that. So as a retail owner, tell me about those relationships because you've been open not that long. So how did you start finding your people that understood the vision for the shop? Um, that, that changed. So we're, we'll be, we'll be at three years in September and we were working with some in the beginning that we don't work with anymore. Quality for us is important, but we provide the utmost in customer service to our customers. And we expect that same in return. It's just part of the it's part of that supply chain link that goes from them to our customers. And I know that um, Amanda Kimbrough is a listener of yours, and she has taught me more than I've ever learned in my life about anything. And she has been just such a big advocate of our success and never made us feel strange or weird that we didn't know about wine at first. She was so patient and 
Um, I just, I can't say thank you to her enough for that. Shout out to Amanda, who yeah. absolutely is a connector and a force in this industry. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Because she, I think she's how I found out about what you all are doing. So there you go. There's exhibit, exhibit A, Amanda, making the connection. <laughs> but this is your first foray into the wine retail space. But you have a degree in business. You went to Georgia Southern. You were telling me about this. Yes. Is this how you thought you'd be using your business degree? Oh my gosh, no. I always wanted to have my own business, but it's really funny. And and there's books about this and people say, you know, all these things about being where you're meant to be at the time where you're meant to be. And I worked um, in supply chain and manufacturing almost my whole career. And as a woman in that business, I, it was really tough. But I, I mean, I fought every day for, you know, the respect that I gained. And I mean, I worked really hard and I'm very proud of my career, but everything just started falling in line and the time it fell in line. And my partner, Justin, you know, we wanted to open a business and I said, let's don't just, let's just don't do it. Let's do it. Like what, what, let's do the one thing in our lives that we thought we would never be able to do. Let's just do whatever we want. And so we thought about the biggest dream possible and it was this, and it all just fell into place. You're living it. A hundred percent. I pinch myself every day, even now. What did your dad say about this when you opened oh, the shop? Are you kidding? He he could not have been prouder that we wanted to get into wine because he loves, he loves wine too. And so he's still very impressed and he shakes his head a lot in pride that he's just, he's overwhelmed at what we've done. And, and so are we. How did you find the space though? Because I'm thinking about like Atlanta metro area what was the shop before it was your shop? How did this space come to be? So this space used to be a little neighborhood market. And so luckily they had already applied for their alcohol license. And we live in this neighborhood. And we, I mean, it all happened so fast. We literally walked by and saw the sign in the window and called and we were in the next month. What? That doesn't happen. I'm kind of like, wait, wait, that happened? Because that doesn't happen on paper at all but it is your neighborhood. What is the neighborhood like? I mean, your residents, now your business owners in the same space, but it's a pretty cool neighborhood. So for people who haven't been to that part of town, tell me about your neighborhood. Oh, we love Kirkwood. It, it is diverse. It's pretty progressive. There's kids, there's retirees, there's people of every creed and color and race, and it's just wonderful. And being in the center of a walkable community is so, especially with a wine shop, because I know people can walk in and have a tasting and I'm not worried about them. They can just walk home. And we even uh, walk to work. So, I mean, it's just seriously, I pitch myself every day. So for everybody who says Atlanta is such a car centric town, I mean, like, well, Melissa walks to work yeah. every day. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta just find these pocket neighborhoods. They're the best. And people have really, really celebrated your presence there. I feel like it's something that the community has centered around, but wine already is such a community builder. And so now you just get to facilitate that with events and tastings and bringing people in to explore. When they walk in, I'm sure they ask you all kinds of things, but as a business owner and relatively new to owning your own space, what are some of the biggest challenges, hurdles that you've already had to overcome at this point. And I'm smiling. There might be a long list, but tell me some of the bigger ones. In the beginning, trying to get an alcohol license, um, that process, and I was extremely naive. 
I did everything my own. I was at the courthouse every single day for months and literally knocking on people's doors. Um, I didn't hire an attorney. I didn't hire an expediter. It was really important to me to learn the ins and outs of what I was getting into on my own. And that process was very frustrating. I wish um, Atlanta would do a little bit better job in helping business owners. Because, you know, when you're starting your business, every penny that you have counts. And I was kind of disappointed a little bit, in all honesty. But I got through it. Um, and since then, um, we really haven't had any problems. This shop runs, you know, pretty much like a little machine. We have some incredible staff that are just, uh, we're so lucky to have. And we're, we're great. This makes me happy to hear because I always wonder that as uh, you could have a lot of challenges. And obviously this is all during the pandemic time too, that you got up and running. So my joy in hearing that your hurdles list is short is pretty big right now. I'm very happy to hear this from you. But also, you're not only building your business, but you're pursuing your wine education every day. What are the ways that you are learning more about wine for your own pursuit of education? I mean, we're still really, really in the thick of that. Um, again, even with Portuguese wines, um, I, we really try every time we see a grape variety. Let's Google it. What's on Wikipedia? Where is it from? Where is it grown? Does this taste like the one we've had before? So it, as much as we can do that ourselves, I have my phone on Google all the time. Um, it's it's a lot. And, and again, looking back in the last three years, honestly, I didn't know that some wines are labeled by the grape and some wines are labeled by the region. What? You know, simple stuff like that that we take for granted now. And once you learn it, it's it's overwhelming and confusing, um, and especially for our customers. And again, we, we have a um, big table in the center of the shop that has 10 chairs. And I, 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 almost every day we have people sit around this table talking about wine. And when you do that and you hear what the person across the table the questions that they're asking, it's just that collaborative mental learning really it elevates the experience and speeds up the process of learning, I think. You all are learning together every single day, and you're bringing in a lot of people who also see the vision of your shop. I noticed that when I met some of your employees at the Women in Wine gathering, you are building a way for people to engage in the industry, maybe for the first time, but they have passion for it, and you're letting them just dive into the retail world. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's important for me. It's it's important for me to share as much as I can of this wonderful experience with as many people as I can. And especially the people who work here because they're a part of us. That's the feeling I want to have when I walk into a wine shop. And mm -hmm. I think you're able to provide that to people. So I know that the retail shop is one piece of the Atlanta wine industry. I think I spend a lot of time explaining to people how wine actually ends up on the shelves to be able to be purchased because we have lots of different levels of taxing and who can sell what and all these things. So if you could wave a magic wand, how would you make the import of Portuguese wines better than it is right now? I mean, it it is like you said, it, it's... Just the laws that prevent small winemakers from exporting, they don't have the money, they don't have the energy, they don't have the resources, and it, it limits us um, here into what we're actually getting able to get our hands on. 
And the other part of that is every single hand that touches that bottle is making it more expensive. And that I think upsets me more than anything because I mean, wine should be as affordable as it can be. I, I, I wish that more wines were more accessible to more people. That's a very good wish list item. So we've recorded <laughs> this. It is out there. Magic wand, that's out there as a, as a request. Make wine more accessible for people. You mentioned the price point. So that is something, at least with that category of wine, we're doing the best we can to give somebody a new experience that doesn't break the bank. So that's really important too. Yeah, I agree. What are some of the producers that you're really excited about that you carry? You're very connected with the people behind the wine. Any producers that are shining stars for you? Well, I will say, I think we all in this shop, our favorite is Mary Taylor. Now, Mary Taylor doesn't make wine, but she is right now in France, Spain, Portugal. Her skis are going so quickly, I can, I can hardly keep up. But she does exactly what I was just talking about. She finds these very small producers in these small DOCs that maybe would never be able to have the opportunity to export. And she puts her name on them. They're all sustainable. Plus, 15, 20 is expensive. Um, her labels are very simple. It says her name in the region. They're black and white labels. If you ever see these wines, please try them. We met her recently and she is an absolute rock star. And we just all wanted to hang on to her and never let her leave. She was fun and energetic and beautiful and passionate and all the things you want for someone in wine. Isn't that cool? That made you feel a certain way when you met someone in wine. Like you were drinking wine, but the way that that person interacted with you made you feel something. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it There is... It's it's difficult to describe, but there is a passion behind this this art that is is not like anything I've ever experienced. I can agree with this, and I'm thinking directly back to not only the wines that I had just the other week in Portugal. I had so many things that challenged my palate in ways that hadn't, but I met some incredible people. And as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, wow, one of the takeaways for me was how many women in prominent roles that I came across in the wine industry there. It was absolutely incredible. I'm talking lead sommeliers, educators at the Porto Wine School. Is that true for winemaking in Portugal? Do you see women winemakers? I think one of the most well-known is uh, Masanita. Um, if you ever see her bottles, I, I mean, they are next level. She, it's a family business. She and her brother make wine, but now she is making labels of her own. And she has just broken every ceiling and boundary there is in winemaking. Noted. Done. Gonna have to see this out because it was really inspiring. What I saw when I was over there, so many women enjoying and selling and educating about port wines. So breaking barriers. Is this something we're going to see more from Portugal? Gosh, I hope so. I'd love to see that in every, everywhere, right? That is really neat. And I, and I also feel like the, the way that you're even talking about your upbringing with the culture being immersive, to me, it's helping people experience wine. Like we were saying about accessibility, it's that people, if you give them the access, maybe it's from art, maybe it's from music, maybe it's from history, then they'll find a reason to connect with wine and it's not just buying it from a shop and collecting it. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. Wine is meant to be drank. It's not meant to be looked at. Collection is great, but let, let's drink some too, you know? 
one of the collections that I saw, there's a whole exhibit about it, but it's glassware from like, you know, ancient civilizations. And what I realized is I was like, wow, everybody has always found their way to alcohol in some, we are not different. There was even a section of it that was like ancient drinking games, Melissa. So we are not different in our enjoyment of alcohol and community. Right. That's great. (laughs) So I think that collecting it for the purpose of sharing is always really beautiful. So you're talking about, you know, having these older wines and sharing them. Of course, that's such a unique experience. So what are some of the events that you offer at the shop? I know you said some tastings, but have you been thinking about other ways to increase the hospitality, that tourism side of wine? We're, you know, again, most of our, we're we're so happy to be coming out of COVID. Almost our entire business model has been that. So we are still trying to explore some of those options. Uh, One of my customers who's now turned into a sister to me, um, we have a little plant business that we do on the side. So we did a plant and so so anything that we can do um, just to get people together and talking and talking about whatever it is. Um, We've had book clubs in the past. So I mean, really, the sky's the limit on on some of the things that we want to do. Book clubs, see, tying it into other people's passions and then wine becomes part of that you're talking about the books but like you're all enjoying wine or the wine might be the reason that you're having it at the shop so you're finding other ways to connect with people it's like that human interaction that we all didn't have for a very long time goodness okay so that makes me think too about a dinner table i think about wine as the conversation starter on the dinner table what are some of your favorite portuguese wine pairings that you've had like what are you serving when you open those bottles that you enjoy you know i tend to go for whites more these days um so anything with fish or mollusks or octopus or anything that has that saltiness goes really good with some of these portuguese whites because they're they're already so saline themselves and that's what i had a lot of i had prawns prawns were like at every meal like oh my gosh so so beautiful and then yeah different kinds of fish that i'd never had but it goes so well yeah um and you know in the center so in the portugal so small and still so vast but uh, if you go to porto or lisbon where the ocean's close you do get a lot of seafood but when you go into the interior you get a lot of boar and pork and goat and things that people are farming themselves and of course you know you want a big red wine with that but yeah i I think portuguese wine is good by itself for sure but it it just goes so well with meat and seafood yeah one of the coolest pairings i had pheasant so like the type of thing i would normally pair maybe a syrah with or a gamay but using those native red Portuguese grapes to kind of go with that gaminess and kind of the more that poultry side. It was awesome and slightly chilled, serving it slightly chilled. Wow, wow, wow. And and I think there is something to eating a bird that was eating on the soils where the grapes were grown. There, It's just like, wow, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Absolutely. And then there was the epic, the myth, the legend, the dish I had to try, but I thought everything about this plate says you <laughs> probably not the healthiest thing for you. Um, but we were like, let's do it. It's like the spin on croque monsieur. It's got a big egg on the top, right? It's got a big egg and like stacks of meat in between two pieces of bread and then comes in this like savory broth with French fries soaking in the broth. Wow. Like everything about that dish was like excessive and delicious. <laughs> That is one thing about the difference uh, between Spain and Portugal. 
is Spanish people love tapas and Portuguese people love huge, gigantic plates of food. Can confirm. I saw this. Or multiple, like a whole table full of food. <laughs> yeah. And then passing the wine around. Again, it was like the wine just kept flowing. Um, I also had an unexpected port dessert pairing. It was 1996 uh, Tawny Port. And it was delicious. And I would think, oh, normally I've just always thought like port and chocolate, which absolutely delicious. Port and dessert, amazing. But this was with like a pumpkin cake. Yeah. And it was like, it blew my mind. I was like, there was no chocolate on that dish. It was wild. Yeah. Pumpkin cake is is everywhere. It's great. It's an orangey, it's an orange in color and they have little powdered sugar on the top. I, I don't know. Everybody makes those. Do you make them? No. No, <laughs> not me. Everyone else. I feel like we should have a foray into our pumpkin baking just so we can open port. We, we should actually. That sounds like a great idea. And ports. I think people don't know the difference between ruby ports and tiny ports and vintage ports um it's not it's not simple there there's some especially with the vintage ports and the if you ever see cojeta on the label that's also that also means vintage so it, it is a little bit confusing but we should do more explore that a little more and explain what the differences are um the the taste is just vastly different between rubies and tawnies do you have people that come in asking for port all the time what do you tell them of the Melissa version of the difference between Ruby and Tani? The I think the simplest thing, and if this is not exactly right, it's at least the easiest to explain, is the Tani has more oak contact. So it's it's oakier and the Ruby is fruitier. Okay. And I noticed with the Tawnies, it's often that caramel, that butterscotch, and usually more of like a a copper brown color too. That's right. But it gives you that note. So if that's from, you know, that's just a very different profile they're vastly different like you can't assume that those ports would be comparable at all so helping people understand like if you like brandies cognac the, the that kind of flavor comes through in those tawnies that's right um in rubies um they're, they're a little fresher and again more a little more cherry just more fruit, fruit forward and people are asking about ports in Atlanta. This is so exciting. Well, I do think, like you were saying, a lot of people assume with Portuguese wines that it is mainly port. So when people are looking for port, we, we sell a good bit of port here. I'm proud of our selection. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to have to come and take a look. And then you're just going to have to pick something off the shelf. I'd love to. Because I got to be reminded, you know, when you sip a wine and you're immediately back to those places, I'm looking for any wines in your shop that will take me back to the patio of the hotel that I say that. And if I taste a wine and I'm right back there, I'll be like, Melissa, you're a magician. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited. We recently um, have brought in a couple of non-fortified wines from Madeira. I would love to see more of that kind of thing. It's a little more obscure. Um, and again, an education about um, a Portuguese wine that's not on the mainland is fascinating. Um, I actually do enjoy Madeira a lot. I think anybody out there that likes sherry should give it a try. It's it's very, very dry. Um, again, it can be a little woody, almost like an Oloroso sherry. So a little nutty, a little woody, really dry, nothing like port. It's very different. And it's um, I've only ever seen white. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, but again, you're speaking to the versatility. This is a relatively small country. And all of these wines we've mentioned today and all these different flavor profiles come from this one country. That's right. That's pretty cool. For wine, I always want a reason to keep learning and I'm always learning. 
so the things that fascinate me to the point of like, I will never be done learning. That's where I'm heading. I'm heading down the path that is never ending. And the more I learn about Portugal, the more I think I'm heading in the right direction. <laughs> it's true. It, it is true what you're saying. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. The, the I think the people of Portugal really speak to passion and beauty, just like their wine. It's a great experience to visit. We haven't been in almost five years now. And I'm, we have to go back soon. We're just going crazy. I was going to ask, when's your when's your next flight booked? Uh, we, we actually haven't been to Portugal since we opened the shop. So I'm going to be able to see it through a different lens. You need to go and tell them all what Atlanta's buying. And, and also, let's, let's put our wish list items out there of how to increase the import and make it easier for you as a small retail shop owner. You're going to go and you're going to have a way different lens of the scope of the wine culture there now that you live and breathe in it every single day. Absolutely. I cannot wait for that. I, I really can't. We, we actually have a, a very small plot of land that, this is a very long story that I will try to abbreviate, but we have a very small land that's near a river and a winemaker has just bought this little piece of land to grow grapes. So we want to go visit. Um, his wines are not uh, imported into Georgia, but I want to go and, and try these wines and just, yeah, just experience this from a different perspective. That's huge. You just casually throw in that you own land in Portugal. You just <laughs> you just casually threw that in at the end of the podcast, Melissa. Oh my gosh. Our, our plot of land is mainly um, olives. Yeah. And we make about 20 gallons a year that is for personal consumption. It's great. I'll have to give you some. That gets to the United States. That olive oil makes it here. <laughs> we bring it in our suitcase. <laughs> Next to your jeans and your shoes, you've got your olive oil. You can't hold back on this. This is a wealth of deliciousness, but also knowledge. Oh my goodness. And he's going to be growing, yeah, making wine from those grapes now. It's really cool. Oh, that's so... Keep us posted on this. This is really exciting. You are not kidding when you say you are still connected to Portugal. You still got land over there, my friend. That's right. Oh my gosh. Well, if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing at the shop, what's the best way to connect with you and learn more? You can connect with us in any way through Facebook. You can email us at info at Don Bejus. We'd love it if you just stop by. So uh, we're just here for people to learn and get excited about wine like we are. Well, I love that you gave the secret that, yes, there's always a bottle open in there. I mean, if you're in the neighborhood, if you're in Kirkwood, stop on and talk about Portugal with Melissa. Thank you so much for being here today. It was great to chat. Thank you, Kelly. This is really fun. Cheers to you. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.